These may be challenging times, but have hope and listen to the untold health stories about incredible people who have committed their lives to better their communities. Diverse health activists, direct medical providers, community organizers that are helping our communities to get healthier and stronger. Stories of local heroes during the pandemic and even before that proves over and over again that people can come together during times of need and make the world a better place. Stories you would never hear of, except at Healthcare Untold, hosted by Barbara Ann Garcia. Our guest today is Luis Granados, who is the CEO of the Mission Economic Development Agency in San Francisco and the board president of Unidos, the nation's largest Latino civil rights agency. Luis, welcome to Healthcare Untold. Thanks for having me. That's great. And we're so honored to have you today. And Luis, as someone who serves in several Latino roles, both at the local and at the national level, would you share with us a bit about your work and uh, and some of your thoughts about the future for Latino communities? Yeah. So let me start with my position at the Mission Economic Development Agency. I'm the CEO of MEDA. Uh, we uh, serve Latinos in San Francisco, and particularly the Mission District. I realized recently that I've been here for 25 years. Wow. And the organization is 50 years old. Uh, and as a CEO, I see how the organization has grown in terms of budget, staffing, and impact. And so I feel like I've been part of at least five, six different metas <laughs> right. as we've grown and evolved. And I'm really excited about the work here because I think we are, you know, the mission is the epicenter of displacement nationally, right? Uh, but we have created some strategies around uh, addressing displacement and trying to keep people in their homes. And I feel like we are going to win the battle. And I feel like that, like we're in this experiment fighting displacement and people ask me like, Luis, when are you going to move on? Are you, are you going to take another job? And I'm like, no, I want to see this through because I think we're going to be the community that actually comes to the solution of displacement. In the last 15 years, we've lost about 8,000 Latinos from the mission district. And the pattern normally of uh, Latinos being displaced is that they lived in apartment buildings the apartment buildings were were put up for sale. As part of that sale, they vacated all of the units. And, you know, these tenants that were paying, that are low income, um, they were given $10,000, $15,000 to move out. But the $10,000, $15,000 for rent in San Francisco covers first and last deposit and maybe one or two more months of rent, and that's it, Right. right giving current rents so yes they went to tracy they went to stockton they went to the central valley because that's it's more affordable but the problem with that is that they didn't have the supports that they had in san francisco they didn't have the family uh that they had around them here in san francisco so uh, there was a wholesale displacement of latinos based on 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 that pattern of buildings being sold everyone being, all the units being, being vacated, and then they moved out someplace else, right? Um, so what we've done, uh, Barbara, over the last um, eight years, one of the things that we've done is that we became an affordable housing developer. Yeah. And in those eight years, we have a portfolio of about 1,500 units right now. Uh, uh, 
and uh, we just won the rights for another 725 units. All right. So this is a kind of, so there's two types of um, sets of real estate work. New construction, these are buildings of 100 or plus units where, where people are being prioritized to live in those new units. And you know, a lot of these families have lived in, in really terrible housing conditions and now they come into a brand new unit with two bedrooms or three bedrooms um, and their quality of life just improves automatically Absolutely. by being in that quality housing. The second strategy has been around the small sites program, which is about, you know, as those other apartment buildings were being sold and vacated of all the tenants. So we're saying to the landlords, you're selling your apartment. Why don't you sell it to us and we'll keep your tenants that you've worked with and care for for the last 15, 20 years. We'll keep them in place and um, and they'll have affordable rents at the same time. And so in the last four years, we've bought 34 buildings, 34 wow. apartment buildings. And we're in the process of uh, buying another six right now. And so and these are all families and in all of those families of the of the 34 apartments that we bought so far, they all had been given notices of eviction, right? Wow. They all were told you need to move on. And so we came in, bought the buildings, uh, rehab them. So the, their kitchens, their bathrooms are better. The bedrooms are better, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, and that's how we are doing um, directly addressing the issue of displacement. Plus, you know, we have worked, Barbara, with um, to improve the financial standing of our family so that they can be better financially prepared for what their future goals are, including becoming a better tenant, right? So they have a clean credit, they have savings, we're et cetera, et cetera, so their finances are improving so they can actually be a better tenant so that they don't have to be evicted because they cannot pay their rent, right? I was, I was going to ask how if you subsidize that rent cost uh, for the families. The, for the families in the in the new construction and the buildings that we own, yes, those are lower lower rents, right? Um, elsewhere, we don't have control over that, but we have control over um, over how the family is prepared to actually become a better tenant by having better financial standing. And I'll tell you, Barbara, when I started here 25 years ago, we were serving about 100 families per year. Right now, uh, we are serving, I believe, uh, about 20,000 families. Wow. wow. Right? And so um, I'm really, really, really happy about that. The other thing that we've done, Barbara, to address displacement is that we uh, have layered all of our programs with a policy and advocacy uh, strategy. And so we are working with our partners, we're working with the city, we're working with the state on the policy side to make sure that policies are passed that address displacement and to prevent policies that would um, accelerate displacement. And, you know, so there's always this kind of battle uh, in Sacramento and locally here in San Francisco for those kinds of policies. And we've had some like key wins recently, um, primarily on on the side of preventing policies that would have been really damaging to our community. Um, you talked about, um, you know, being the displacement um, 
basically you have the expertise now about displacement. What are you thinking, and particularly because you work as a board president of a, the largest civil rights union, uh, Unidos, how do you take that from a local level um, to that national level or to the state level? Well, listen, I think being the board chair of Unidos US is a real honor for me. Um, and I really enjoy working with Jenna Maria, working with the rest of the leadership team. And I really love our board of directors at Unidos. Uh, we, I feel like we are very much together. You know, but on the selfish side, part of my 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 joy in, in working with Unidos, especially as board chair, is to share some of the practices that we're having here in San Francisco. And I bring those issues regularly at board meetings. And I think that I think Unidos has allowed me, given me um, the freedom to talk about these strategies and how these strategies that we have at Meta could be, should be implemented elsewhere nationally, right? I learned through my role at Unidos that Philadelphia, uh, the Latinos in Philadelphia are also being evicted. You're seeing the same thing in San Antonio. You're seeing the same thing in LA. You're seeing it in San Diego. You're seeing it, you're seeing it everywhere, Barbara. And the reality is, and this is part of what we've learned, is that most of these communities don't have the kind of community development capacity to keep people in place. You know, uh, for instance, for us, it's a combination of the family economic success, you know, helping people with their budgets and their savings, et cetera, et cetera, the real estate. And now we also have become a lender, right? right. And so we're trying to put all those in the policy side of it as well. So we're trying to put all those things together to keep people from being displaced. But for instance, uh, we are the only Latino CDFI in the Bay Area. Latino-led CDFI in the Bay Area. And a CDFI which, is Community Development Financial Institutions. Talk correct. a little bit about what that, what those kinds of organizations do. Yeah, so they, uh, uh, a CDFI, a Community Development Financial Institution, provides lending primarily to low-income low communities. And so I'll tell you, uh, we became a CDFI about five years ago. For the first three years, we lent uh, about varies a, a small portfolio of about $3.5 million in the first three years, right? 40% of those loans uh, through that in those first three years went to people who did not have documentation, right? They had items and they were entrepreneurs. These are business loans. For that part of the portfolio, portfolio the 40%, um, there were no late payments and no defaults. It was a hundred, 100% of people who bought, who borrowed from us, who did not have documentation, they paid us back, you know? So, um, and then during the pandemic, you know, we just kind of kicked it into high gear. During the pandemic, we were able to disperse emergency loans to small businesses in San Francisco uh, and primarily to communities of color uh, in, in, in two and a half years, about $30 million, right? Uh, to these businesses. And some of these loans actually allowed these businesses to survive when they were really, really, really struggling. So all of a sudden we went from three and a half million in, in three and a half years to like 30 million during the pandemic, right? Yeah, it just seems that, you know, you've taken, you know, the fact that you were trying to work with families to become economically successful. And then you had to kind of work 
and all the other areas that they were being that they were struggling with. And you've kind of fit that need. You kind of created the solutions to those needs. And, and that's pretty together, right? Mm-hmm. Putting all these integrating these strategies. That's right. So the families are not separate from the businesses. The businesses are, are not separate from the policy. The, the the policy is not separate from the housing. They're all connected. And yeah. and I think part of what we're by integrating all these strategies, I think we're going from a uh what do you call it? Uh um, a transactional approach to working mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with our community to more transformational. The more we integrate, the more transformational it becomes, right? Yeah. And well, so I, I was pretty <laughs> impressed with your um, data around because you and I talked about what medical homes were, you know, ensuring that people had access to care and that they needed a medical home, just like they need a regular home, right? Right. And so um, I saw your data that you really have increased by being an integrated model of care for families. You really have increased access to even their health care. Correct. And and, I think part of the challenge with community groups like Meta that we often think of those people who are coming to access services as our clients um, and we kind of try to silo them, right? right? The reality is that they're all, we're their service provider along with all the other organizations doing similar work. They're the same people. And I think we need to acknowledge that and not try to silo them as my clients, our clients or their clients, they're the same people. So I think having that collective impact approach uh, and working in community, working in partnership, for instance, with the Mission Immigrant Health Centers uh, and the two and the other 32 organizations serving Latinos in San Francisco is really important because, again, they're not just the meta clients. They're all of our clients and we need to treat them accordingly. Right. Well, San Francisco is so fortunate because it has, you know, a strong Latino community based uh, organizational structure. And I assume now that you're because I know I've been working with you on some of the real capacity where you're trying to share this knowledge to cities like Watsonville and to Stockton and to Fresno area. Um, And it's almost like you have to build uh, these community based organizations um, and maybe even spread that from, you know, an organization that just is doing housing to how do you transform them to become a financial institution? Just like in some reflection of what Meta's growth has gone through. Because it seems like we may not have the ability to create multiple Latino-based organizations, but we can certainly build the capacity of some of those organizations and some of those needed communities. That's right, Barbara. I think like I think that's really important. Focusing on capacity building, I think is really important, whether it's a new organization or building out existing organizations, I think is really important. I mean, one of the stats that I, it's kind of amazing uh, to me in a bad way, is that from the Mexican border all the way to the Oregon border in rural California, and it's Latino rural California primarily, right? There's zero Latino-led CDFIs. Uh, wow. and, I, mean, I mean, it's crazy, right? Right. There's only five Latino-led um affordable housing developers again from the mexican border all the way to the oregon border in in rural california and we i mean we cannot win this um issues without having that capacity right we need to really focus on capacity building so that's part of the approach that i bring in those other seats that i'm a part of like 
uh, Unidos US. I'm also on the board of the National Association of Latino Community Asset Builders. Mm-hmm. That's you know that is a theme that I that I bring to those conversations on a regular basis. So we started a program recently, Barbara. Uh, we call it uh, Share the Model because people are asking us, "Hey, Meda, can you, can you show us how how you did what you're doing and how what?" strategies may be applicable to our community and and so we're doing that actively now we're working with uh entities uh in rural california like you mentioned i think there's other requests from um from uh other other urban areas in california and i recently came back from oklahoma and kansas where they're asking us they're having the same issues right in this latino communities and they're saying, Meta, can you help us out? Can you like tell us more about your work? You know? Yeah. So that's that's what we're trying to do, Barbara. And I mean, honestly, like I'm I'm kind of a broken record, but I think developing this community development capacity uh in Latino communities is really important. I think where where I I see the Latino community currently is that we have a such a strong culture of service, service, service. Um, but I don't think that's enough. Right. We need to develop these other capacities around affordable housing development, around CDFIs, around policy and advocacy, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's that's where I would like to see more of our Latino community headed, right? Yeah. And I want to, to whatever extent I can um, support that, you know, by doing this kind of podcast or by sitting on a board and bringing that perspective, I would like to do it. Well, you know, we were just doing a podcast that uh, got put out yesterday about uh, the gross domestic product of Latinos uh, in the U.S., $2.8 trillion that we contribute towards the economy of the U.S. It's as large as the United Kingdom, India, and France. And so when you think about the power of economy for the Latino community, the power of uh, their ability to create businesses, um, even their purchasing power. It doesn't seem too far-fetched to think about the fact that we could develop uh, community-based organizations either by expanding them or creating new ones. I mean, a reflection of that is what happened in healthcare, uh, where you, you had these health centers and you did have community health centers and a whole group of community health centers that were Latino based were created in the 60s and the 70s, and they're going strong today. So it does seem, though, that the federal government has to contribute and the local state governments have to recognize the power of the economy of Latino communities and how important it is to invest in, in these communities, particularly as you stated, you know, 100% payback on loans, particularly from the undocumented population. Yeah. Well, I, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody about how, in some ways, the federally qualified health clinics are such a like a gem that needs to be like we need to pay attention to them because they they do great service when it comes to healthcare, right? Like right. for instance, the, your organization that you founded, La Salud, mm-hmm. like every child that is born in Watsonville is born at La Salud, right? Right. That's really significant. I mean, what did you can say that, right? Right. Real significant impact. But at the same time, they have the back office 
because they're, they're, they're so sophisticated, so sophisticated in doing some sophisticated health work that they have the back office actually that could allow them to become a CDFI. That right. could allow them to become a housing developer. And I think we need to like really, really have that conversation. And how do we like, you know, they don't have to do it. But I think like I think that might be one of the paths, one of the paths and see if people are interested. But I, I'm really excited about that the potential of seeing this federal qualified health clinics evolve into something else. Not that they're not doing great work already, because they are, but there's a lot of capacity there, right? I mean, listen, Barbara, I mean, the other thing that we all know, uh, because we've all experienced it in the last three years, um, that, you know, in San Francisco, Latinos uh, made up almost 50% of all COVID right. cases when we only represent about 15% of the population, right? Um, and the three main reasons, right, is, you know, um, uh, overcrowded or poor quality housing. People went out to their essential jobs, got infected, brought that virus back to um, to their home and infected everyone. And then like spotty access to healthcare. And I think to me, this focused on healthcare going forward as a kind of centerpiece of community development is really important, right? And so, and then connecting it again, connecting healthcare, housing, and jobs, you know, I think it's going to be, for me, that's actually a key framework. And I'll, I'll tell you one experience that I, I, we're, I know we're working with Watsonville and La Salud to make some of this stuff happen. But the other part of it, um, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and their health department, their public health department, wants to start a community development corporation to address these issues of, of jobs and housing, right? I mean, it's really kind of, I'm really, I'm really encouraged by that because that people, I think after COVID, people are making that direct connection, right? Right. This other, between health and these other community development strategies. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, I wanted to kind of reflect back to you, um, Luis, about um, how we're going to get there. And one of the ways we get there is by um, leadership mentoring. And, you know, I've gone to some of your events and one of the things that was, I got blown away from was the amount of young people that you had in your agency. Um, and I'm talking about people who look very professional and they were on their job. Um, and so it just seems to me and the work that I see that you're doing is really the development of the new leadership uh, for um, all the work that we have to do for the Latino community. And we're a young community. And so I wanted to get your thoughts about that because that seems to be one of our um, one of the things that we can really work on to get these uh, communities um, healthier and um, also uh, more uh, vibrant. Yeah, I think I think the the leadership component, the intentional leadership development, I think it's really important. I think we have to be really intentional about it. I'll give you an example, uh, Barbara. I mean, it's a little bit of context. So during the pandemic, the Mission District had two calls during the week. Every week, every week, every week, right? One at nine o'clock in the morning on Monday mornings to like just to, okay. So what are we doing this week together collectively? What are the what's coming up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, et cetera, et cetera? The other call was about how are you, how are you, how are people managing? How's your agency managing with this being remote? How how are people doing? And then also some big picture stuff, right? 
Um, but there was a lot, some personal stuff. And one of the things that I learned during those calls is that, and we had like 30, 40 people most weeks, right? Is that it gave me access to people that I normally don't come in touch with. Um, and so, you know, I often talk to the CEOs or the executive directors, but during these calls, you could see people uh, sharing their leadership at the second level, the third level, and the fourth level. And I, I'll tell you, this is one of the top three things that I've learned during the pandemic, how much leadership we have in our community and young leadership. And I, if I have to say, uh, what if you ask me to describe uh, leadership in the Latino community in San Francisco, it is female and young. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so like it was, it was, it came across really importantly. And it just made me think like, how do we take these young people, mostly women, to be honest with you, and, and call and, and name them as leaders because yes. they're behaving like leaders. They're speaking like leaders. And I feel like my own personal quote unquote uh, leadership journey, I don't know that I recognize myself as a leader early on. And I kind of, bumped against walls and things like that. And I'm wondering, now that I'm older, uh, I'm wondering how do we like help those young people recognize their leadership early on so they don't get lost. So they're very right. clear about what leadership looks like and how their behavior is one of leadership. The other thing that like within Meta, listen, I love our Meta team. I think, um, I think we have just a great, great, great team. And it is, um, it is, uh, Pretty young, pretty young, uh, but very skilled, and they're very good to work with, right? Mm -hmm. We really screen people for, can you do the job? And are you good to work with, right? Mm -hmm. And so those are two qualities that we want. And I'll give you an example. Right now, um, our real estate team that has about, you know, in eight years has grown to about, from one person to about 17 people. Mm -hmm. um, all of those people are people of color. I think we're the only community real estate uh, affordable housing developer group in California, maybe even nationally, that is 100% people of color, mm -hmm. right? And so when we go to meetings for with affordable housing developers here in the Bay Area, we tend to make up 95 or maybe 100% of the people of color, right? Because yeah. it doesn't look, affordable housing in the Bay Area doesn't look Latino, doesn't look like people of color, it looks like older white guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm really proud of that. One thing that I uh, somebody uh, taught me uh, that used to work here and she no longer works here is that we have to be really intentional at, about how we want to make sure and help people to show their leadership within Meta and then be really supportive as they decide to move on right. and show their leadership elsewhere, right? So right. it doesn't matter where, they, where like that leadership is exhibited. Yeah. And so I... I am um, really happy about that. That's, I didn't always think like that. I right. sometimes I'm like, I would throw a little tantrum when somebody was leaving. Uh, no longer, right? right. Like, leadership so, generator. Leadership generator. Right? right? So uh, like now I'm actually, one thing that I'm doing personally, and I guess maybe it's also a function of being older, is that I'm actually doing like um, mock interviews with staff for, with our meta team that are applying elsewhere, right? Yeah. I've been the reference for people who are saying like, hey, Luis, I am, uh, I'm thinking of moving on. Uh, I'm wondering if you could be my reference. I'm like, of course, right? right. So this young woman, uh, Lucy Arellano, uh, she uh, uh, took a, uh, a uh, what is it called? Um, Chief Strategy Officer for Lyft, uh, a, a national CDFI, right? Right. 
And guess who was the reference, right? So I spoke to the CEO who was hiring her away from us. Like I said, yeah. So when she's very much a leader, so yes, she's great. And you better treat her right. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful, Luis. That's wonderful. It's really great. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much easier to do that, Barbara, as a person. You know, then to like exactly. be, throw a tantrum because somebody's leaving. No, like, you know, we now have uh, one of our staff who he's he's left three times and come, and come back, back three times. <laughs> and now he just left again. Right. And now he has a big position with the city of San Francisco. And he's like our person, right? Like we actually report to him now for some of the city work. And I'm like, it That's makes right. sense. Yeah. I, it's, it's a good yeah. thing, right? And yeah. for him... I, he was one of the people who um, I did the mock interview with, right? Yeah. And that's what that got him the job, but I wanted to make sure that we show our, our support. That's wonderful. Well, you know, you've been at the agency uh, for going on more than two decades. Uh, tell us a little bit of how you manage personally uh, to be able to kind of, you know, a stick to it kind of attitude with what you're, the work that you're doing. Um, because, you know, many times the new generations are not staying as long um, in jobs, but sometimes it takes that to really, like I used to say, it took me seven years to see a policy finally go into place. And so sometimes it does take that long to see the work that you've started and see through. But what do you use to kind of keep yourself going and the tenacity of continuing as a as a leader? Yeah, Barbara, I think there's three elements. So one, I love so I love the people that I work with here in Meta. I mean, they're incredible. They're incredible. So I'll say that. I also have a lot of respect for the people that we're serving. So those are not I didn't learn about the people who are serving by going to graduate school, right? That's right. Um, I, th- those are my cousins. Those are my aunts and uncles. So th- mm-hmm. there's a, a personal connection there. I think the other part of it that I've learned uh, about me personally is that I I like, uh, I'm not uncomfortable with not knowing the subject matter, right? So am I the best affordable housing developer uh, in the Bay Area? Mm, not really. Caroline Fang, who is the director of real estate, she is the most dynamic affordable housing developer in the Bay Area. But I'm not. But am I a better developer now than I was six months ago? Absolutely, right. And so, I I like uh, I really like learning. That's what I think that I found out. You know, I really like learning. So, you know, again, like with the CDFI, did I understand how a CDFI runs five years ago? I didn't. But I I like the challenge. I like the learning part of it, right? And then, so there's a something that I that I realized about that. And I have been with Meta for 25 years. When I started, I was the fourth person hire. We had a budget of about 300,000, and we were serving about 100 families per year. And like I just shared with you, like right now, our operating budget is 21 million. We have about 110 people working at Meta now. And we're serving, I, I believe, close to 20,000 people per year, right? Thank and so having some results attached to to learning and working with good people, working to benefit our community, it's made it really exciting for me. I, I, And again, I feel like over those 25 years, as the organization has evolved, I have been part of at least seven different metas. And I can see the eighth one coming down, right? <laughs> And for me, right. that's actually really exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not uncomfortable, again, not knowing. Uh, I like, because I like I like the learning. 
right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. No, you absolutely answered the question. Um, and so any last comments for our listening audience, Luis? It's been a pleasure to uh, interview you today. No, I, th- I think there's a lot of hope for our folks. I think focus on the young Latino leadership is important. I think focusing on building the capacity of Latino-led, Latino-focused organizations, I think is really, really, really yes. important. Yes. And I think if we do that, we can better serve our community in the ways that they need. And I, the other thing, I think we need to really value this culture of service that we have as a Latino community, but then also add these other sets of capacity around affordable housing, around CDFIs, around policy, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm really hopeful, Barbara. Yeah, I'm very hopeful too, Luis. And um, we want to wish you a happy New Year coming. And I I can't wait to see the work that you're going to be doing in the coming years and some of your other capacities that you're uh, volunteering for. And uh, so, on behalf of Healthcare and Toad, we just want to want to thank you for all your work, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Healthcare untold. Healthcare untold. Healthcare untold.